You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bot and Megan Gesner. Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from, or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right, on to the rest of the episode. Welcome back, Poison Pals. We are recording our second series of our remix, rewind sessions of recording our earlier episodes. Mm -hmm. But this time... It's not my turn. It is Megan's turn. And she is doing special episode number trace, number three. That's correct, friends. This is my revitalization of an old episode that we did. It was one of my, it's one of my favorite episodes that I've done just because there's a hometown factor there. Um, Mm -hmm. And also it is, I would say at a pretty famous poison stories. If you've heard the story a thousand times, I'm sorry, but like <laughs> I think it's always kind of like an interesting one. Yeah. I they just dropped a Netflix series what last winter or earlier I think this so. year? Yeah. Earlier this year that had it's an anthology series but they covered this particular story um and it was cute. They had like little cartoon graphics and stuff. Ooh. Um, so maybe one day we can like watch that and compare. Yeah. But anyways, the story I am going to tell is about the infamous Dorothea Puente and the Dorothea Puente murder slash murder house in Sacramento. (laughs) And so to give a little background on why there is like some meaning when I hear her name. Mm -hmm. So I am from Sacramento originally, and I actually knew about Dorothea at a very young age. She was introduced as like a tale or a legend. She came though- over for dinner <laughs> parties. I, exactly. <laughs> even though she was only like, what, probably 30, 40 years prior to me finding out about her. But anyway, so mm-hmm. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I mean, why would you? My father is a broker in the Sacramento area. And growing up, my sister and I would sometimes go with my dad out to look at properties or put lock boxes on properties or even when he was showing properties to tenants we would just kind of like be in the background like little kiddos i love um, it which i don't know if that's a common thing for real estate agents but whatever like that's what, what it would happen <laughs> yeah and there's one specific memory i have where we were in downtown sacramento like in the area of where the murder house is but not actually on that street mm-hmm. but we were driving through and we, my dad was going to go check out a property. I don't think he was showing it to tenants. He was just going to like, I don't I don't even know what he was doing there, but he had some involvement <laughs> with this property. But as we were going through the neighborhood to get to that, that house, my dad like turned to us as he's driving in the car. He's like, you know, there's a murder house in this neighborhood. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and I, I, I sometimes now that I'm like full adult, yeah. I think back to some of the things my dad had an interest in. Yeah. And how he would involve us in them. And like, like my dad's always been interested in like, well, history, but mm-hmm. he also actually my dad 
I think really likes horror. I remember as a kid, hmm. he would put on like Freddy versus Jason or like we I remember we had like VHS t- horror tapes like Chucky and then Visible Man and oh my like gosh. all those like classic late 90s yeah you know horror films and i'd be a okay i'm I'm diverging but anyway so anyway so we're driving the car and he's like yeah there's a murder house in this neighborhood yeah some old lady she poisoned all of her tenants Mm -hmm. and when we got to the house that he was actually showing i think my child mind mistook that house as dorothea puentes so until i researched her actual story i always assumed i had actually stepped inside the infamous murder house can you imagine that's not the case but anyway, the house that we saw was um, very similar to Dorothea's house. Mm-hmm. It is a Victorian home. And so to give some background on like the architectures of homes, which yeah. I think helps in understanding how could someone have gotten away with what she did. Totally. These homes in this particular part of downtown Sacramento, they are Victorian homes. Like for mm-hmm. a contemporary comparison, if you've watched Stranger Things 4, think like Vecna's house. Like the, they are homes like this in in a street um back to back to back so like yeah grandiose homes that have many rooms and many floors that actually mm-hmm. you know parts california is not known for having basements but these are homes in california that have basements oh really yeah and oh. so and so big houses but small yards because they are like right next to each other in this particular house that my dad showed the basement originally was an indoor pool and that got so dope. Yeah, it's really cool. And that got filled in and turned into a ballroom. Whoa, fancy. And so like, yeah, like all these houses were built in the turn of the 19th century, so late 1800s wow. to early 1910s. And then Ooh. like I'm sure during the 1920s, that's when like the indoor pools getting filled in and turned into a <laughs> dance room, you know, right? Sort of got to go, got to. But that Dude. gives you kind of a an idea of like what these houses look like. There are large yeah. homes with many, many rooms. Now, I was just going to say from what I've seen in Sacramento or just like mm-hmm. even like going to Northern California, mm-hmm. I've noticed that a lot of the homes will have really big front yards. Yes. But they'll yes. have big front yards and uh, like it's almost opposite. There's not right. like a big backyard, but you'll have a large expansive front yard. So yes. is that what it's like? Yes, that is that is what I would describe the Sacramento city area to be like. Even the suburbs that kind of mm-hmm. encompass downtown Sacramento, it's the same thing. The fabulous 40s, that's the nicest. Like if you've ever seen Lady Bird, there's a famous, there's a yeah. scene where she's in the fab 40s and she's like, mm-hmm. she loves this one house. But anyway, those <laughs> grand houses like that, most of their front <clears throat> yards are larger than the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, that's what it appears like. And I think it's just this this notion of maybe back in that time period when homes like that were built, you would interact mostly in the street with your neighbors. Yep. You'd let your kids go out and play in the front mm-hmm. rather than be hidden in the, <laughs> the back totally. of the house. Yeah. <laughs> so like it would be an encouraging way to get the neighbors and community to interact with one another. That's, Absolutely. That's my theory around that. And yeah. I always say that because where we live right now, mm-hmm. when Dave and I will go on walks, all the houses have really large front yards as well. Yeah. Uh, and they do have backyards, and I'm sure they have expensive backyards, but all of them have a porch. Like it's built to face outwards. Like it's meant right. to be where you're supposed to be sitting outside and talking to people who come along and interacting with your neighbors. Right. Backyards are the antisocial era. <laughs> When people were like, you know what, let's just, I think that I don't, 
no, I'd love to look more into this. Like, when did that switch occur? Like, what, yeah. what was happening in our country socially when it was like, you know what? <laughs> As families, we talk less to our neighbors now. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're going to go and, like, have our own privacy in our backyards. I don't know. Maybe during, like, the satanic panic or something. That's what Ooh, that went down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stranger danger was going down. Stranger danger. People are picking at your fruits and you're getting pissed. You're like, yeah. it took me a whole damn year to grow this fruit tree and everyone's right. picking my fruits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so that was my introduction to Dorothea Puente. And again, like my dad pretty much just generalized her story as old woman who poisoned her tenants. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much all he said when I researched her. The first thing that was like an immediate debunking in her story is like Dorothea, when when all the shit went down with her, when she was murdering, when she was mm-hmm. actively murdering, I would not consider her old. I would she was like in her mid to late 50s. And that yeah. to me is not old. Even That's if she was old. in her 60s at the point to me, I'm like, there are many capable Mm-mm. people in their 60s these days. <laughs> no. I don't consider that old. So it's Dude. it's just funny that that legacy has stuck with her. Like she really mm-hmm. media portrayed her that way and, and slid under the radar because yeah. um, people were thinking she was like an older woman. But like, no, she was it like benefited her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's get into it. So um, as a brief, brief summary of like who, if you've never heard of Dorothea Puente and don't know her story. (laughs) So Dorothea Puente was a woman who owned a boarding house in the Sacramento area. Um, As I mentioned, it was a Victorian home that she transformed into a boarding house for those who, like people who were kind of getting back on their feet, those that Mm -hmm. you would consider kind of like people forgotten in society, um, whether they had um, kind of cognitive or mental illnesses, addiction, some people who were recently released from jail, Mm -hmm. chronically homeless folks, those were the people that she would board. So, you know, people that were forgotten. So in some way, I was like, okay, like, that's good of her. But I think also, I think it became an exploitative thing, of course. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so she would take these folks into her home, most of them who were actually on the older side or frail side. Mm. And she ended up drugging them to a point of overdose or death and had them buried in her garden. And then she would cash their security checks. So that was her whole evil, her whole plan, her plot. Yep. Yeah. She would cash <laughs> yeah. their security checks. So that's the, that's the basic summary of who Dorothea Puente is. Got it. But let's get into like Ooh. her timeline, her history, what drugs she used and story how she so was good. discovered. Yeah. I love it. I love okay. It. So Dorothea was born and raised in California. She does have a turbulent life history with lots of lived traumas. Both her parents were heavy drinkers who abused her from a very young Mm. age, like from four to six years old. Both her parents pass away early and she is sent to an orphanage Mm. only to be adopted by like other family members. And she like bounces around with those family Mm -hmm. members for a while. She lives her teen years with some form of alcohol abuse herself. So she has a substance abuse, which I don't think is uncommon for someone whose parents also demonstrated that behavior, especially Mm -hmm. since, you know, from a young age, she like witnessed that. Yeah. She gets married very young at the age of 17 and has Mm -hmm. kids young. One child she ends up putting up for adoption and the other becomes estranged from her. Mm -hmm. And then 
this is just like a time jump. <laughs> That's her early life's history, but gives yeah. you an idea of where she's coming from. And then later on, um, as one of like her first crimes, she actually opens and owns a brothel and gets arrested for that at some point in time. Oh, so yeah. I don't know when mm-hmm. that was or what age she was, but I feel like that's probably a detail that's easy to look up. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I didn't I realize she, she runs a brothel. Yeah. I obviously this is a repeat of the story, <laughs> yeah. but it was a while ago, guys. Mm-hmm. I did not realize she had kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had That's kids. That's so interesting. Yeah. She she definitely is for sure a loner. Like, and when she becomes famous through these ultimate poisonings and murders, she's definitely alone. Like, yeah, um, and that's probably why we don't think that she has kids or whatever. But right. yeah, she had them super early. Makes sense that like she probably didn't keep in touch or anything or mm-hmm. who knows. Mm-hmm. But okay, um, sounds good. Yeah, she did have kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. So fast forward in the late 70s. This is when she's in her mid 50s. Mm-hmm. So she's lived a life already. Like she's lived a life <laughs> running a brothel and getting arrested for that. Jeez. And then, uh, you know, she hits her mid 50s. Yeah. In her in the 70s, she obtains a 16 bedroom Victorian house on 2100 F Street. Damn. Um, and this is her first boarding house. This is not the actual murder house, but it's okay. her first boarding house. Where's she said, getting the, this money from to buy a 16 bedroom house? I don't know. I probably could have looked into that more. But also, I'm like, I feel like at this time, houses were probably cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Like I I who who knows? Like I don't know how what where her income was coming from. Mm-hmm. Maybe she herself had some form of welfare benefits. I'm Maybe. not sure. Probably the brothel. Right. Unless unless she had to give away all the money from that since she was right, arrested. Right. Or I don't know, like this is all speculation, Poison Palace. You could do you could do the research. Uh, this is a retelling, and I'm using notes based on my original episode. Yeah, so I could have could have revitalized this per- portion more, but please be gentle. So anyway, maybe she was already doing like boarding house services or something, and then yeah. she opened her own. Who knows? Like she could have sure, been sure. working in the community mm-hmm. at the time, and maybe that was how her income was. And then she was like, "Okay, I'm going to open this boarding house." But I don't Damn. know. What we know later and what I'll say later is, like, she definitely had a tact for scamming folks. So mm-hmm. part of me is, like, maybe she was also just, like, always hustling, always, like, doing Yeah, I can see that. You know, forging checks or taking, you know, taking somebody's welfare or something. I don't Dude, know. Dude, she probably scammed someone out of their own house, and that's how she got it. She was like, hey. Scammed the deed off them. Yeah. She has a sporting house. She takes in vulnerable individuals. And... During this time, what is discovered is that she is forging signatures on her tenants' benefits checks that th- that are coming into this address, Mm-mm. and she's cashing them for herself. She is found out and is actually arrested in 1978. From that arrest, she's put on probation for five years. The court strictly forbids her from running any other boarding house or any sort of like um, operation like this again. Yeah. When she's put on probation for five years and, you know, arrested all that, she leaves that 16 bedroom Victorian home and immediately obtains another <laughs> Victorian home <laughs> on the same street. It's 1426 Dude. F Street, which is the eventual murder house. The way she gets around this 
probation, not pro- uh, this this order to be like, yeah. you can't run a boarding house anymore, is she presents herself as an in-home caregiver. She's like, it's not a boarding house. I'm just renting to people and She's I'm smart. their caregiver. So Jeez. that's what she says. <laughs> And then she just continues doing what she's doing and continues conning and like scamming her tenants. So the audacity to not (laughs) even just move down a a street over. She's on the same damn street. Exactly. Wow. I said this on the original recording, but I just feel like no one was checking in on her. Like that's true. She's, she's on probation, but there's, it doesn't seem like there is any effective probation officer that was Mm -mm. like, checking in who knows because that goes back to what you were saying earlier mm-hmm. I, I agree with that because i think the reason is she's this perceived older woman right who is harmless for all intents and purposes right. so no right. need to check on her she's not doing anything nefarious right right <laughs> lo and, and behold <laughs> i feel like based on the interviews i watched of like the detectives that were involved in the murder house um <laughs> plot like they when they talked about her, she she was a very kind of quiet and quiet and not aggressive or anything, you know, just very like observant and allowed for people to kind of like check the premises and all that. Sure. Like, I almost feel like she played up this yeah. concept of like, I'm just going to be a demure mm-hmm. older woman. Totally. Sort of and she's smart. It's yeah. a good theory. Like to me, Harini, I think that is a good theory that like no one was really checking on her or taking her threat seriously mm-hmm. or the threat of who she was seriously because she's just like, she probably would just would get caught or arrested or have this history of arrest, but be like very, you know, just very quiet and like meek. And <laughs> right. Sort of thing. Yeah. She, she plays into the role that they all yeah. think she is. Exactly. Exactly. Megan, have you yes. ever forged a signature? <laughs> Oh my god. If I say <laughs> what I want to answer, would I get arrested? <laughs> yes, my answer is yes. And they were all definitely my mom's signature for same. like anything elementary to high school related like Dude, same. So many times. And sometimes with her permission, sometimes mm, mm-hmm. not, you know? <laughs> but like her signature was so easy. It would just be like same. this RS and I'd be like, I can call. Uh, that. <laughs> dude, that is that's even easier than my yeah. mom's because I was gonna mm-hmm. say I I forged the one time I can actually remember that I forged my mom's signature uh-huh. I was like in kindergarten uh-huh. and <laughs> started early <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> I was in kindergarten and basically there was an assignment if we turned it in early then we yeah. would get one of those holographic stickers and Ooh. man I was a sucker for those yes yes so I was like I must I must have it yeah. so I think I I asked my mom how to spell her name yeah yeah and I was like can you write it for me and then so she wrote it and then I took that one in my corner and I copied it (laughs) (laughs) wait but like why did you wait I don't understand why you felt the need to forge it would she not she would not have allowed you to have the holographic sticker no, she just <laughs> didn't she I think she didn't want to do it early or I forgot the assignment, but basically uh, she didn't want to sign it early. Okay. She was like, Oh, you need to like do the full assignment uh, or whatever it was. She right? was being um integritous. <clears throat> Very good. For yes. Her. <laughs> yes. And I was like I need the holographic cigarette. So then write her name. I took mm-hmm. it. I copied it very carefully. Yeah. And then I presented said paper to my teacher the next day, got my holographic sticker. Nice. But then obviously my teacher was like, oh, this looks a little bit weird. And she asked me about it. 
because it was like 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 this <laughs> wrote it <laughs> i'm mimicking like being a very shaky right, five-year-old right. handwriting yeah, yeah, yeah. and so i told my teacher very proudly that i had forged my mom's signature i was like oh i oh. didn't i do it so well like i copied it so well yeah. and then i went home and i told my mom too like i wasn't being secretive about it yeah, I, yeah. I was proud of it you're truthful <laughs> i was truthful and then i I think they took away my holographic sticker, but that's okay. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> like you weren't you weren't being um sneaky, you know. No. You were just like, oh, like th- they needed a signature and they needed mm-hmm. my mom's. Maybe there was like a not understanding that like your mom had to write it first. You Correct. Know what I mean? You're like, oh, I could just drew it, write it for her. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to bother her. I genuinely sure, didn't sure. understand that that was a, like illegal. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. So yeah, my answer is yes, I've definitely forged a signature or two. And I still feel weird saying it out loud, but I'm like I know. Elementary high school permission slips are inconsequential. It's fine. Everyone's um, done it. Don't yeah. lie. You <laughs> haven't done it, you're a square. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I'm God. kidding. We're kidding. We're kidding. We don't condone uh <laughs> No, I'm kidding. It's okay. True. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, let's go back to uh, the OG <laughs> forger. Exactly. We've had actually quite a lot of forgeries mm-hmm. on our uh, podcast. Yeah, um, surprising for a poison podcast. Forged. I know. <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the timeline of things. And mind you, I, I mean, already we are, but I'm like, this is when the murders start. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're getting into it. Scared. Um, but mind you, some of the events that, mm. um, or some, yeah, some of the events slash murders she's accused of are discovered when she's in trial. So once I get to the trial part, I might go back in time and talk about those extra events. Okay. So she gets this house on 1426 F Street. And and this is in 1982. And she moves in with her friend and tenant named Ruth Monroe. And I want to emphasize that Ruth was her friend. Like that when people Mm -hmm. saw them together, they consider them friends. Anyways, despite me emphasizing that, Ruth dies. And despite um, them being known as friends, Dorothea has a hand in her death, essentially. But okay. So Ruth Ruth dies in an apparent suicide. And her family members come in and check and ask Dorothea, like, what happened? Because they felt like Ruth didn't really present those concerns of suicidal ideation mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. depression or anything that could lead to taking one's own life. Mm-hmm. And Dorothea says, Ruth was struggling with depression for a while. And then that's how she ended up committing suicide. And Dorothea at the time is not implicated in Ruth's death at all. But what's weird is that Ruth's autopsy slash toxicology tests find that she had overdosed on codeine and Tylenol, which apparently is a rare combo, at least from what I what I read. Hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, that's what I said in the first time around. So I'm keeping it in there. But I wanted to, to re-ask, like, is taking codeine and Tylenol at the same time not heard of? No, not at all. I okay. mean, it's usually if I'm even remembering correctly, I'd have to I can look it up while we, you're talking. Yeah. But it's usually put together in cough syrups. Like it's right. commonly given to even children and adults. Yeah. Codeine is, is an opiate and it is in analgesic or analgesic. I, 
I always say analgesic, analgesic, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> for it to actually start having an analgesic effect, you need to take about 200 milligrams of codeine. So a pretty significant amount. Mm-hmm. So what that means, what that implies is that she took a lot of codeine to have overdosed because to like, yeah. Right, because 200 milligrams is a lot. Like, again, I always use our freaking OxyCoffin or like even the, <laughs> the, um, what's the show? The, the one about the Sackler. Dope Sick? Dope Sick. I use the mm-hmm. Dope Sick example of like when they show the pill with the 160 on it. I'm like, that's yeah. a fat pill. So I'm like, okay, 200 <laughs> milligrams is bigger than that 160 milligram pill. <laughs> yeah, you would have to really ingest like a lot of it. Which is not impossible, uh, sadly. Like you, you, it's definitely possible to do that. But when they were doing her autopsy, they just felt like that was kind of bizarre. Like it takes a lot of effort to consume that much. Mm-hmm. And also, they're like, if Ruth were seeking a faster out, she could have mm. probably gotten another type of a prescribed opiate that you don't need to take 200 milligrams just to feel the analgesic effect. She probably could have gotten her hands on something a little more quick. So for an, for example, in contrast, morphine, you only need to take five milligrams for it to have an analgesic effect. That's why it's so much easier to Mm -hmm. overdose on morphine. And with codeine, how it works is your body metabolizes it down to morphine. Cause when we take codeine, most people don't want to overdose on it or also it's like a safety thing. Like that's why it's so much to just get the small amount mm-hmm. of like your body to metabolize it to a small amount of morphine. Anyway. Absolutely. So the family members, when they, like I said, when they checked up on Ruth prior to her passing, they felt that she was healthier before. But when she moved in with Dorothea, they they noticed that she had this decline. There was a physical and she just seemed she was declining from a more robust person that she was before. Mm-hmm. So that was noted. Yeah. But police don't look into it further. A few months later, after Ruth's passing, Dorothea is caught robbing and drugging a man at a bar. And then she Jeez. goes to jail for three <laughs> for three years. What? I didn't realize yeah. that. Dang. Yes, she does. She goes to jail for three years. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's it's shitty that Ruth passes, and spoiler alert, sh- Dorothea is implicated in Ruth's death when she mm-hmm. goes to trial in 1993. But basically, in the immediate time of Ruth passing, Dorothea isn't implicated, but she does go to jail for a totally different reason. So it's mm. like, right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so she goes to jail for three years. She is then released on parole. explicitly told not to handle any security checks or do any work with the elderly at this point in time it is now 1985 (laughs) and she still owns the f street house Uh and she still continues to house you know society's misfits what kicks off the main investigation that makes her famous is that one of her tenants alberto montoya goes missing So Alberto Montoya going missing is the catalyst for investigators to take an interest in the, in Dorothea's property. What happens is Alberto has a social worker who recognized that he didn't check in in time with her in like a couple weeks, which Mm -hmm. was rare for him because he was usually good about being on schedule with checking in with his social worker. Yeah. Alberto was only 52 And probably Dorothea's most 
cognitively disabled tenant. Okay. And what I mean by that is he had language skills of a child sort mm-hmm. of thing. And like language skills of a child, maybe a little bit nonverbal and was probably someone who was very easy to exploit for that and take advantage of. So Alberto stops showing up for his meetings and the social worker sees this as concerning and does alert authorities to go check on him. But they're not, they're unsuspecting of Dorothea. They just mostly are like, they want to check in. They're they are concerned about the welfare of Alberto just for his safety. They don't yeah. think it has anything to do with Dorothea. But they know where okay. he's living. So they're like, we need to check in to make sure that he's safe and like, he's okay. Um, okay. That up? right there makes absolutely no sense to me because, okay, yes, they go check up on Alberto Montoya. I, mm-hmm. I mean- it's not guaranteed that these – is it cops that are checking on her? Yes. They, they are, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's guaranteed that these cops would immediately connect that Dorothea Puente is the owner of that house or that right. he, he is under her care. Right. But I'm sure they would have met her or come across her at the house. Like, don't sure. they do a full check? I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, they would know, like, oh, wait, she's not supposed to be here. She's not supposed to be doing this. Like, right. She, you know? Right. That's a fantastic question because I do think the same thing of, like – you know, in this day and age, a person like Dorothea, who's had who has an arrest record, would yeah. have a reputation slash would it would be easy to check like what is the owner's record? Okay, and and she has she still has tenants renting from her. That's a red flag, knowing that mm-hmm. this person's missing, right? But the truth be told, I'm not really sure what record keeping looked like mm-hmm. in the eighties. That's true. <laughs> obviously not as advanced but i don't think it would be so archaic to a point where like this wouldn't have come up but i don't mm-hmm. know i don't know how to answer your question Harini, because that's a that's oh, a yeah, totally no, valid just... no yeah it's no it's a totally rhetorical. valid question it's a great great rhetorical question yeah the only thing i can think of is i totally understand if she just even has a record that just came up once like she just got yeah. arrested once or whatever mm-hmm. understandable but right. it seems like this is the second or third time this is like the third, yeah. right? So it's like the mm-hmm. third time. So I'm like, she's known. She's known to them in the Sacramento community. So right. that's where I'm like, how did those, you know, I's not get dotted. Right. <laughs> T's yeah. not get that's, crossed. That's a great question. I don't that's know. All. I just, yeah, just some lack of follow through or something. I don't freaking. Mm-hmm. So this happens 1988. Okay. And the police come to ask Dorothea if she knows where Alberto is, she knows anything about his whereabouts. Uh huh. So Dorothea, her default lie for whenever anybody checked in on like a tenant would be that the tenant either moved on their own volition mm-hmm. or they were kicked out because of alcohol abuse or something like that. And like alcohol is not tolerated in this house sort of thing. Yeah. What made cops not believe her this time so i guess on some level maybe they were checking like given given the tenants that she would rent to mm-hmm. i imagine that there might have been cops involved with the tenants every once in a while because like again these were people who might have just been released from prison themselves you know whatever mm, so yeah, yeah. so i'm sure she had plenty of law enforcement visits but not about her i don't know gotcha also, that's that that does make me think like maybe law enforcement just saw this house as like, you know, Dorothea's the while she has a criminal record, 
she's not the quote like worst of the worst so it's actually a good thing that she's helping out these other people who might fall into crime or like have a background like that you know what i mean like maybe that's That's just a theory too like i have no evidence to back that but that that could be (laughs) a potential theory anyway so they don't believe her this time around. And the reason for that is because when they were asking her about Alberto, another tenant was just kind of like lingering about lingering. <laughs> They're just holding up a sign saying, help me. <laughs> help me. <laughs> they literally have the biggest whiteboard of their life and just says help. <laughs> They're like, They're still holding it up, but like frantically erasing yeah. it. <laughs> Dude, if there was ever a spoof of this, that would be the best scene. Okay. That would. But but what happens in reality, Poison (laughs) Bass, is that this tenant who's kind of lingering around, they flash a very small, small piece of paper to one of the detectives. Mm. And on it, it says, she wants me to lie to you. So that's what actually happens. But I think it would be hilarious (laughs) if in like a spoof, everything we actually said happened. Wait, I'm more impressed that on that tiny, tiny paper, they wrote yeah. so much. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I'm like, is it the size of a freaking um, fortune cookie paper? Yeah, or that's is what it I'm like, thinking. Is it like an index card? I right, don't know. Right. I don't know. But I, I like, like that, that cop. That cop yeah, that cop has good eyesight. Like, do they have to bend down to see? Yeah. It? I don't know. Because if they're, I would, okay. If I had to do that, if I was in that situation, I would make sure to write a very quick note, ideally one or two words, because you don't want Dorothy Puente looking at you, looking at this note that is supposed to be secretive. That's true. That's true. Reality, it would be like more efficient if you're like, help me. You know, that's two two words. You can write it large (laughs) on a small piece of paper. Yeah. Okay. But, but, you know, we don't judge. (laughs) We don't judge. This works. They wrote, she wants me to lie to you. Okay. 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 That's very, and that's like, it's clear. It's it's clear. It's an, it's an impressive message too, because it means that it's, it's implicating Dorothy in some way. Like something is sus. Like to say that like they, there's a lie afoot is Mm -hmm. sus. So that was like, anyway. Okay. So because of this one eerie note, they ask if they could search the house. And they also observe, and and just when they were talking Dorothea, they also observe that her yard in the front, the soil looked recently disturbed. Like, they have an Mm. eye for that. They're like, we recognize when soil looks recently disturbed. In the front? In the front. Yeah, in the front. Oh. Yeah. It's always been in the front. (laughs) What? Side. Like, side front. Side front yard. Oh, shit. I thought it was in her backyard this whole time. No, no. It's like side front yard yeah yeah what? okay we'll yeah. get to that i'll later. have to send you photos okay yeah anyway, <laughs> and and so they ask her if it's okay for them to look around and she says yes and plays it cool she's totally like consenting and being like yeah like you're welcome to look for alberto and check my yard whatever mm-hmm. okay so they start to like snoop around in her yard and they actually do start to dig in her yard and what's yeah, what starts as a dig for Alberto Montoya uncovers a lot more. <laughs> Let's we'll get to that in a moment. So as they're digging, they uncover the first body. They don't know mm. if it's Alberto Montoya yet, but they do uncover a body. Okay. At this point in time, Dorothea is technically not a suspect. And when we first recorded this episode, I know we were just like <laughs> guffawing and chortling in shock of like, how could she not be a suspect? All that. Right. But I think 
now that I've learned more <laughs> about cases like this or whatever, however the system works, it makes sense that she's not really a person of interest because she's been saying, okay, yeah, you can check my property. I've taken yeah. care of these tenants. And she's like, cooperating. It, it could be a, like, who knows? It could be a situation where someone else has been doing stuff in her yard and she has no idea. You know what I true. mean? Like, true. Maybe they're giving her the benefit of the doubt. Like, how could this old lady do this? Right. Also, so yeah. it's not her MO. If they do look up her record at some point, yeah. it's not what she does in terms of crime. So That's this would true. be very extreme. It would be like a huge jump for her to go from like scamming people to like murdering them to and straight digging up homicide. Them. Yeah. Like, that is a very good point, Hernie, that we didn't talk about last night. So mm-hmm. very, yeah, really good point. So as they're digging... The detective in one of the interviews that I watch, as he's he's retelling the story, he's like, yeah, we were digging, and she's just up on her balcony monitoring and watching. <laughs> I hate it. I hate and it. I, just, I do picture, like, this, like, not sinister per se, but, like, this old uh, – not she's not old, like, but she looks – she actually looks She old. does look you know, old. She, does, she has got, like, white hair and, mm-hmm. like, those big-rimmed glasses. <laughs> yeah. So I just picture, like, a woman, like – watching from above uh, like her, no. her glasses glinting in the light no smile just stoic i um, don't love it yeah so she's watching from the balcony find the first body and the lead investigator asked Dorothea, like hey we're going to keep digging like this is potentially a crime scene sure and she responds am i in trouble am i under arrest and the lead investigator is like no, you're good right now, <laughs> or whatever you know. Like, is ensuring like, no, you're you know, you're not in trouble. You're not under arrest. Um, yeah, we just need to keep looking into your yard. Like, what's happening here? <laughs> you know, there's nothing that ties her to the body except that it could have been a tenant or like it's on her yeah. property. But whatever. Mm-hmm. So then she asks if she can go get a cup of coffee at the hotel that's nearby, and the detectives like yeah you're more than welcome to get a cup of coffee while we continue to search your premise property Mm -hmm. and he actually walks her to the hotel (laughs) escorts her to the hotel and then he decides to leave her there you know because he needs to get back to the crime scene and check out how it's going and what unfolds is the discovery of seven bodies <laughs> in this yard, not Jesus. just one, seven whole ass bodies. Oh my God. And that's when the whole police team, law enforcement team, get the sense of like, hmm, something is amiss. <laughs> <laughs> something oh is amiss here. And it's very seven likely, bodies later. Yeah, it's very <laughs> likely that the landlord, aka the person who's responsible for this property, is involved like there's no way she wouldn't know correct so the investigators go back to the hotel and they're like have you seen this woman in red you know she's a little bit on the older side i just walked her over here to get coffee where is she and the concierge person is like yeah right when you (laughs) left she left the building Oh my god. So dude. Dorothea ran. She fucking ran. She runs. Yeah, yeah. And so now she's officially a person of interest. Damn. She damn, damn. is able to evade arrest for about three days. She even pulled a little sneaky sneaky where she <laughs> intentionally booked a flight to LA knowing that the an arrest was out for her. Mm-hmm. And the, like knowing that like, okay, cops will show up to LA to, you know, right. thinking that I've landed, but I won't be there. So she pulled <laughs> one of those and they couldn't find her then. After three days, though, they finally get a tip from someone 
in LA. Like she she still had <laughs> she still went to LA. Yeah, she still ended up driving to LA. What happened was she had chatted up some pensioner at a bar in LA and probably honestly was trying to do her next scam or you know get some footing Damn. by scamming this guy know that knowing that she's on the run and but nothing comes of it he you know avoids like making any further connection with her but this guy he goes back to his hotel room and sees the news feed for the day and sees her photo on the screen of the news channel and is like, I just literally talked to this woman at the bar. So that's who they get the tip from is this man yeah. might've been like potentially her next victim. And she gets arrested and the trial takes uh, about four years from arrest to her, to the verdict. She's ultimately found guilty in 1993. She's tried for the murder of nine people total, but only found guilty Mm. of three charges. The Mm. three charges were enough to give her a life sentence. So I feel like that's probably why all of them were not found guilty. And also some of the murders that she's tied to, all of the people in the yard, I think, were part of that charge. And then there there was two more prior to the murder house so that is all to say like it sucks because if she was tied to all nine not all of them got their due diligence right at the end of the day she still got a life sentence yeah from 1985 to 1988 that's when seven people died in her home and were buried in her yard Here's a little bit about some of those folks and then like some of the people that were prior to that time period. So in 1985, after she got out of jail for doing that whole drugging and robbing a man, Mm -hmm. she actually had a boyfriend named Everson Gimmeth um, who she met in jail as a pen pal. And so when she got out, he ended up living with her at F Street. Oh, God. But in that same year, she murders him. <laughs> okay, I wait. shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> it's nervous laughter. I was going to say, did she end up murdering her first husband, too? Like, the one that she had kids with? Or he got away? I do not know. Okay. I okay. don't know. What we know is that in 1982, it's implied that she murdered Ruth Monroe. Okay? That mm-hmm. might have been one of her first victims. Mm-hmm. And then in 1985... She does murder her boyfriend, Everson. And to finish up that story, we're unsure if it was a poisoning slash drug overdose. But the reason why they even found out about Everson is because a witness during her trial came forward and was like, I was a carpenter hired by Dorothea. And she asked me to build this box now looking at it, it was a casket sort of oh my thing. God. And she had somehow, without the carpenter knowing, put Everson's body into the to this casket and then asked the carpenter to dump it by the Sacramento River. He was just dumping trash. Like he was like, I what? built her like this trash canister and then dumped it. This is this is what I'm understanding. Yeah. I'll yeah. give the carpenter the benefit of the doubt. Who knows? <laughs> sure. Like anyway. Everson's body is actually found on in 1986, so like New Year's Day of that year. Mm-hmm. But his body is so water damaged, they can't yeah. identify it for a long time, for like another three Ugh. years. And 
another reason why we definitely think she is the cause of his death is because even after he passed, she was actually writing to his family as a under a fake alias, oh. Irene, and pretending that he was still alive. So she would write That's to so them, weird. reporting back to her family, like, oh, Everson's Ugh. doing great, this and that. So she was definitely like trying to keep the scam that he was still alive. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. It gives me the chills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. (laughs) 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 To say the least. I know. That's probably not the right word. Sorry. Um, And then, (laughs) so that's, that's Everson. And then we talked about Alberto already. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. that was also in 1985. Okay. Uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. Alberto was in 1988. 1988. Okay. Okay. That is the those are the only names I have. Sorry. Ruth, Ruth, Alberto, and um Everson. Okay. So, anyways, all the bodies that are discovered in the yard, they all have high levels of Dalmain in them. Dalmain is the brand name for fluorazepam, which is a sleep aid prescribed for insomnia. Mm-hmm. It is a Schedule Four drug, meaning that it has low potential for abuse and low risk of dependence, which is pretty interesting because fluorazepam is a benzodiazepine. Mm-hmm. And as I feel like is common knowledge, benzos do have a risk for addiction. I do not want to use this episode as an introduction to benzos. I mean, it is an, an it is in essence an intro to benzos, and I feel like we really haven't done a mm-hmm. full thing on benzos. No. But to be honest, I want to save it because I do want to do <laughs> the story of Jordan Peterson becoming addicted to benzos. That's like a big oh, thing that, that he was open about, and I'm like, I uh-huh. think that would be a great way to talk about benzodiazepines. Yeah. So, so anyway. Also, this is just like a side note. My first intro to understanding how benzos work was actually watching the Midnight Gospel on Netflix. I don't know if you ever watched that. No. Did you ever watch that? Okay. No. They I don't. It's not mm-hmm. even like it's not even like a full sex section on it. But in the first episode of the Midnight Gospel, the Duncan Trussell, who's the guy who is the podcaster who runs it and and his guest on this particular episode is Dr. Drew Pinsky but mm-hmm. Duncan talks about his use of benzos mixed with alcohol and I remember Oof. in the Midnight Gospel he specifically <laughs> uses the term the that's the kill concoction or that's the kill switch intrigued Ugh. me and then I looked into it I was like oh yeah like yeah that will fucking that's how oh, you yeah. do it if you mm-hmm. if, yeah I shouldn't say that but like yeah um so <laughs> anyway so but why is it the kill switch? Because benzos are central nervous system depressants, common benzodiazepines that you've probably heard every day of your life is Xanax, Librium, Valium, Clonopin. Clonopin is what Jordan Peterson became addicted to. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to save the full discussion on benzos for a later episode. The thing about fluorazepam and why this was such an interesting, but also like it was like a little, it's like sinister and intelligent on like the choice of fluorazepam as the drug of choice for Dorothea. The thing with fluorazepam is let's think about Dorothea's tenants. Her tenants were on the older side. Her tenants were people who might've already had some form of substance abuse too, at least some of them. Right. Yeah. So what she was doing is it's likely that she was putting, dosing them with fluorazepam Dalmain, whichever one you mm-hmm. want to call it, which is a sleep aid, dosing with that in their food 
And fun fact, she was actually known as a really good cook. And <laughs> apparently, I think in before 2011, 2011 is when she actually passed away. But um, oh, wow. before that, when she was still serving her life sentence, there was going to be a TV show called Cooking with Killers or something like that. <laughs> and she was known for being a good chef. So that was going to be like, she was going to be featured in that new what? like reality show or whatever. She would drug her victims. And with florazepam, because it's a CNS depressant, it's highly recommended that when you take it, obviously mm-hmm. take it knowingly and take it as you're already about to lie down. Like yes. you should not be planning on walking or driving or especially for geriatric use don't be anywhere near stairs or Mm -hmm. anything that you think you're going to be mobile because it will mess with your motor abilities and your balance Mm -hmm. there's a large number of reports of elderly folks (laughs) who have taken fluorazepam and reports of falling like Mm -hmm. that was something that's very common yeah so part of me is like it makes sense that this was her drug of choice because she would dose them unknowingly or them unknowingly. And it's likely that they were still moving about their day, planning to go right. about their day. And maybe one of them had a fall. And mm-hmm. I thought about this a little bit more since the first time we recorded. Part of me wonders, like, what if Dorothea, her intention was never to kill at first? Maybe her intention was always to dose her tenants enough that they just be in a constant stupor throughout the day. Mm. Like maybe her intention was just to keep them in a stupor and so that they were just easier to manipulate, essentially. Right. And they couldn't question her about things or like, where's my money or anything like that. And maybe it was like, as long as I can keep giving them a home and a healthy meal, they won't ever like think about this. I have a theory of like, maybe one day... She dosed somebody and they had a fall and she was probably like, you know, fuck. Like, I know that this person fell because they were under Dalmain, which I gave to them. And now they have a broken hip and like, it's too much of a pain for me to bring them help or whatever. Like, that's all theory, right? So then she just decides to get one of her other tenants to hide the bodies for her. And I mm-hmm. forgot to mention this earlier, but Alberto, the one who ended up going missing and actually started the investigation, it's very likely that she actually used him to put the bodies in the ground because of Ugh. his level of verbal development or social development. That's the thought there that... So sad. Yeah, yeah it's still it's poisoning. It is. She wasn't using what we'd consider like a lethal lethal toxin per se Mm -hmm. again florazepam is sold as a level four drug which is questionable given that Mm -hmm. benzos are addictive or have an addictive quality but she wasn't using cyanide she wasn't using arsenic like it wasn't arsenic in the tea or whatever yeah yeah. you know i i truly think that they would dose or overdose to a point where they would their central nervous system became so depressed that they stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Or that they were dosed and fell and heavily injured themselves to a point where they couldn't move and then ended up dying that way. Totally. I think I read somewhere that there was one that was dosed and then she suffocated them. Oh, God. So that one, that one it's all violent. But to me, I'm like, the yeah. act of suffocation is is very active. It's active. It's an act of violence. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. 
So that is what Dorothea did. <laughs> and she would collect their their checks, their welfare checks. Even after they went missing, she would continue Ugh, to evil. collect their checks. And okay, so that's the story. <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> and then she was given a life sentence and she served it until her death in twenty eleven. That's a long time. She lived a long ass time. Yeah, she did. She really did. Oh, oh. The question comes up like, how was Dorothea even getting this florazepam, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she had a pharmacist, which his Uh-oh. name will always make me laugh. So I apologize if you have this last name, but it is just so <laughs> it is a, like tickles tickles me on the inside. Her pharmacist <laughs> was named Dr. Duty, and he, Dr. Duty actually during her trial was accused of <laughs> negligence because he right. was absolutely prescribing her an unnecessary amount of fluorescent yeah like more than anybody would ever need for even Mm -hmm. if you did have insomnia well i was gonna (laughs) say the her doctor like her actual physician should also get called in because the pharmacist is not prescribing it's the doctor the pharmacist should not be dispensing oh right right maybe sorry i i I think Dr. Duty was her physician, not her pharmacist. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, okay, I okay. used the wrong words. But way to yeah. like, this is true, stand up for the pharmacist in the system. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, it's this doctor who prescribes it and the pharmacist who doles it out. So mm-hmm. I think it was Dr. Duty. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think he was Duty. a physician. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. So, okay. Yikes. Let's talk. I was already going into Florazepam, and I just like cut it because I wanted to like, end <laughs> Dorothea's story. Real quick. So with Florazepam as a benzo, you can grow a tolerance and dependence on it. Mm -hmm. The reason why they really recommend you to not do a lot of activity, even once you've had a sleep, had sleep for the night, is that uh, Florazepam has a long elimination half-life, which is the reason for observations of like daytime stupors or cognitive impairment. So like, because Mm -hmm. it has a long elimination half-life, even though you've taken it, let's say before bed and you've slept, you could Mm -hmm. still have it in your system like throughout the next day, sort of. Totally. Acute overdose of flarazepam is characterized by excessive sedation with impaired mental status and diminished postural stability and reflexes. Mm -hmm. Um, Although benzos are relatively safe medications, acute overdose may induce respiratory depression, resulting in coma, even death. Fun fact, I guess. Mm -hmm. Benzodiazepines, not all, but a certain benzodiazepine is used to treat alcohol Mm -hmm. withdrawal. Oh, really? Yeah, because they work on the same receptors in your brain. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to talk Mm -hmm. about that when we do a full episode. We should do an episode on alcohol. We should. That is like the number one drug. Yeah. It is, truly. I digress. (laughs) Okay. So if you you overdose on benzos, the antidote for that is a benzodiazepine receptor antagonist. In this case, it is flumazenol. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so bad with the punctuation or what's up? Not not the punctuation. I don't even know what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. The different stresses. (laughs) Flumazenol, I apologize. Flumazenol is what is used for alcohol withdrawal. Uh, Okay. 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 That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's my, that is the story of Dorothea Puente and her murder Mm. house. Like I said, there are many retellings of this. There's the one on Netflix, which I think is like 30 to 45 minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think they honestly, I watched it and I do think they give more detail than I ever did. So yeah, um, they're on like kudos to them. 
So yeah. as they should, yeah, as yeah. they should, they're like, freaking Netflix I don't, show. <laughs> right. I don't have the production I know. Um, funding or anything to do like hours and hours and hours of research and to make right. animations. So, so yeah. adorable. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I did have one question <laughs> and that's regarding the bodies. Cause I yes. think I remember the last time we did this, I could not wrap my head around the space. Like, the, right, right. Because right. I do have a picture in my mind of what it looked like. And it's not a lot of space. So were mm-hmm. the bodies, to your knowledge, I don't know if you came across this in your research, yeah. were they like stacked or were they like in a row? I think they were in a row and side by side. But let me look. Okay, I'm going to type in how big was Dorothea Puente's yard. Because I remember see. that was like a hilarious thing that we talked about last time because right. you trying to do conversions me trying yes. to do conversions. We are both on the same page. We don't do them. Right. We don't right. do them well. So that's why the episode title was called Seven Bodies Long because that's right. how long it was. <laughs> yes, yes. Because like, okay, so like, I wish I could just show you this photo now. I mean, we have time. Hold on. Let me just snap you this pic. Okay. Oh, dude, this house is humongous. It's a big house. Now duplex. A lot of homes in Sacramento that were originally started at Victorians, they were separated into duplexes. Is that a backyard? Is that supposed to be a backyard? Side yard. Or it's a side it's yard. It's a side yard. So yeah. there's also a backyard? There's no backyard. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just Got a side it. yard and then the front and then there's no backyard. I still think for that size, seven bodies is a lot of people, but definitely there's definitely enough space to put four in a row and then yeah, three yeah. in a row next to the other four. <laughs> for sure. Because what I was going to say is – I, like I said, I thought this entire time, ever since the last time we've done this, that she had put these bodies in her backyard, like her very teeny tiny backyard. Oh, no. Now, now that you're saying it's in her front yard or her side yard, but clearly anyone walking can see her yard. So how in the hell did she do this? Seven bodies and no one caught her all seven times? Right. Especially if that house in the back if that is a another, if mm-hmm. that's a neighbor, right? Like, how did they not see? There's clearly houses on the side. Totally. How did they not see? Yeah. And I'm not sure. Like, that's a great. If I had the resources, I would be like, what's the history of the neighbors behind <laughs> right. and to the side? Not the neighbors who are actually there, but if she was running a boarding house, who's to say her neighbors weren't running a boarding house? And sure. it was common to have like a certain type of tenant that occupied these streets. Mm-hmm. And so like no one was really looking out for each other or snitching yeah. on each other. True. You know what I mean? True, true, true. That's right. I was going to say my other theory, which is so... Seven Thank God. alone is quite an impressive feat. So, Good job, Megan. That's a story. Thank you. Thank you. With let's I go enjoyed into it. antidotes. Yeah. Okay, my my antidote is I, I'm going to do a TV show. My antidote is murders in the building, and I have to tell you, I was skeptical. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> actually, and they will hate this because. They've, we didn't have, we finished a show that we uh-huh. had watched. Yeah. Binged it, in fact. Mm-hmm. And then we we're like, crap, why did we do that? Now we have nothing else to watch <laughs> <laughs> every single time. And yeah. so they was like, oh, this looks fun. Like I heard like this show is really, really good. And okay. I got to say, I'm not the biggest fan of Selena Gomez. I knew, <laughs> I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. was just like, you know, this is not my brand. So no. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to watch this. You know, right. I knew the premise, like it was about a murder podcast. And I was like, this yeah. feels too close to home. So, so 
I don't want to be watching right. not work, but like what I do already. So I said no. Cut to us hanging out with Andrew, all my high school friends, mm-hmm. our reunion situation. Andrew goes, you should really watch Murders in the Building. It's mm-hmm. so good. You would love it. Yeah. I come home. I'm like, do you want to watch that? <laughs> Dave's pissed. He's pissed. He's like, only when someone else tells right, you, right. you listen. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we like binge watched the whole first season. It was nice. it was honestly really delightful. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I love that you love that. I don't know why I never told you, but I yeah, I watch it. I Oh, I didn't know that. I watched it when it came out. Thoroughly uh-huh. enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Poison Pals. I'm Harini is my friend for a reason. We're on the same wavelength. I've never <laughs> been a huge Selena Gomez fan just in terms of like her music or whatever. I never really watched Wizards of Waverly Place. No, like no. I was already tuned into reality TV at that point <laughs> in my childhood. So I stopped watching cartoons or like right. Disney Channel shows. Yeah. So like I just never was invested in her. But mm-hmm. I was like, this looks cute. Right. Why not? Yeah. And I do adore um, Steve Martin and Martin mm-hmm. Short. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's watch. And yeah, yeah thoroughly enjoyed it. Currently on season two. Yeah. I actually watched an episode today. Okay. And it's just cute. It's like, yeah. is it the best show that I've ever watched? Of course, no. But no, it's cute. No. It is stylistic stylistic it's snarky about true crime podcasts which yes i enjoy even though me too this was supposed like our intention about our own podcast was to be a true crime podcast yeah you know what everyone's shitting on true crime right now <laughs> and i'm such a bandwagoner i shit on that too like uh, you can love something and hate it yeah it just so happens that the topic we like to talk about science and toxicology mm-hmm. sometimes there are some good crime stories that revolve it's around true. that so we can't yeah. help it but Can't anyway, help it. I do watch that show and I'm glad you watch it because it is enjoyable. It is enjoyable. And after the moral of the story for me from mm-hmm. that show was I would love to have some older friends. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it would be so nice to have people who are like two generations older than me and like yeah. be like besties with them. I think right. that would be so fun. Yes. Yeah. I have those. I call them my mom friends. Yeah, but you they do. are just they're just bomb women are their kids happen to be my age, but I know <laughs> them in a work setting capacity. Mm-hmm. We became really good friends. So I have that I I'm the next level in terms of like I want older male friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like like fatherly figures like right, they right. are in the show. <laughs> Ex- so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that'd be so fun. But yeah, it's a good show. That's my antidote. Cool. Love that. Good antidote. <laughs> My antidote is that it is a full moon tonight, yes. and I'm actually going to go on a full moon beach walk with my Lovely. gal pal Brie. It's just been a minute since I've really appreciated our full moon. Yep. That sounds so silly because it comes every month. <laughs> um, I don't know. Something – not that I'm saying something feels special tonight, but like I just like that I'm being intentional of like yes. let's just go outdoors and enjoy the night sky. Yeah. Absolutely. It is harder to enjoy the night sky when you live in a place that is a lot more light polluted. The sky is clear. There's no clouds. There's no um, Wonderful. sea mist. Might as well take advantage of this. So absolutely. That's what I'm doing. I That's love my that. Antidote. Yeah. Wonderful antidote. Awesome. Right. Okay. I will take us away. <laughs> Don't risk it for that good home cooking, but secretly dosed with florazepam biscuit. <laughs> I think that's kind of what you said last time, yeah. now that I'm remembering. Yeah. It's, it's tasty. It's deadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Bye, guys. We'll bye. see you next time.